You are listening to audio from The Creek Church. If you would like more information about The Creek, please be sure to visit our website at thecreekfw.com. Okay, we're there this morning. I like that. Man, y'all doing all right this morning? Okay, awesome. Y'all are keeping it going too. Good, good, good. Hey, um, my name is Alec. I'm one of the pastors here uh, at The Creek. It's good to be with you this morning. I I just want to say, man, if, if you haven't been... Uh, here before, or you haven't been in a while, we're, we're just super glad you're here. I mean, it's, it's after Thanksgiving, so congratulations on, on surviving uh, whatever family came to your house uh, or whatever family you went to see. So uh, just, just glad you made it this morning. Um, you know, I, I kind of want to start um, like this, actually. Um, in, in 2006, um, something, something small happened, uh, but, but it kind of is still affecting our world today, and, and it's this. Um, in 2006, Facebook uh, moved from being uh, for college students um, to being for everybody. Uh, it, it, legally, anybody over the age of 13 uh, can now have a Facebook, which is kind of scary because no 13-year-old should be trusted with the internet. Um, but it's, it's, a, it's a thing that happened. And, um, and I, I was a junior in high school. And, and so kind of as my world was expanding... Um, and, and as I was getting ready to head off on this new journey into college, and good Lord help us all of that mess, uh, but, but also, uh, man, the, the internet was expanding in a really cool way, too. It wasn't just MySpace and LiveJournal anymore, if you even know what that is. So, uh, but uh, thank God if you don't, you know. Uh, but uh, here, here's the thing is, um, a, a lot of good things came with that, um, and, and honestly, just kind of the internet culture that we live in today. I, I really do believe, like, but before we um, have some conversations, I, I really do believe while, while you can't have the fullness of it, you, you can have community on the internet. I mean, I, I've, I've talked to people in different countries, which is, which is kind of mind-blowing if you think about it. Um, but, but the reality is a lot of, um, as I stepped into this season, um, man, just a lot of crazy things came with it too. And, and here's... Um, here, just cards on the table this morning. Um, I, I want to talk with you about uh, kind of the comparison culture that we live in today. Um, that, that we are, uh, because of the internet, and, and honestly, I mean, let's, let's be honest. Before the internet, it was keeping up with the Joneses, right? Uh, like you would drive down the street and be like, man, their lawn is more manicured than my lawn. Uh, they've got a nicer lawnmower than I've got. Um, their wife is cooler than my wife. I mean, if we're I mean, just being real, like that, we would compare in those ways. And, um, and, and that has only been amplified by the internet culture that we live in today. And so, um, and my, my hope as we talk about this is, is to just kind of go, here, here's where we run the risk of comparing so much that we lose sight of the good things that God has given us, and that we lose sight of, of where he's placed us. And in losing sight of that, we lose sight of the mission that he's placed us on. Uh, because I, I, know, I know this, um, I mean, it, when we watch each other's lives, um, and, and maybe that's not even the right word, because we don't really see into each other's lives, right? What we see is the highlight reel. <laughs> like, like this um, elaborate fiction that we've all created, that like just one picture of your waffles at just the right moment. I don't know why you're taking pictures of waffles, but we are. Uh, and, and when we do, man, it, it's just this moment that we've created that's supposed to be a representation of the rest of our life. It's not, it's a fiction, um, but, it, but it feels good. And so as we look at this fiction, um, the, the reality is that um, we get our eyes on, on so many other people's lives that we miss the life that God has for us. 
and the place that he's called us into. And so, so my hope this morning is that you realize today or, or, or at least are more secure in the fact that, that Jesus is enough for you and, and that the life that he's called you to, like that's a gift that he's placed you. Even like, man, some of us have crazy family and we're gonna see them again in less than a month. God help us. And God has put you there. And God has placed you at your workplace. And, and he's given you that place for a reason. And so my, my hope is that you would um, realize that the life that Christ has for you is way better than any fiction you could create online or in your mind. or where We're just going there this morning. And so would you, would you just pray with me that, that God would secure you to him as our hope? Let's pray. God, thank you so much. Um, that this morning we, we get to gather around and, and get our eyes off of ourselves and put them on you. Um, and in that, God, we just ask that you would, um, in a culture that has just been flooded with comparison and competition and, and all of the things that polarize away from you, that you would secure our hearts in the fact that you have placed us, made us, purposed us, and graced us with your presence, God. And that is more than we deserve, and it's more than enough. So help us, God. We need you this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, um, if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and flip over to Mark 10. Um, we're going to be in Mark 10 today. Um, we're, we're trying to get to verse 35, um, but to get to verse 35, uh, we got to start in verse 32, just so you feel kind of the emotional weight of what's going on in, in the journey. And so um, verse 32, if you're there, says this, they were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. And, and so just, just so you know, um, Jesus, pretty far along in his ministry now, um, kind of heading into Jerusalem, has a crowd around him, has his disciples with him. It's a big group of people, and, and they're all a little bit terrified. Because here's, here's the reality. Um, like, like, we know the other side of the story, right? Like, as, as believers in this day and age, um, we know that Jesus didn't stay on the cross. <laughs> like, amen. You, you can say amen at that point. You don't have to. But um, he, he didn't stay on the cross. And, uh, man, at the, at the end of the day, we know about the resurrection. We know about the hope that we have. We know that the Holy Spirit was sent in Acts. Um, and we know that we, too, might experience resurrection in Jesus Christ. And, and we know all of that. The disciples didn't. And so here's the thing. Jesus has been, um, just honestly, at the head of a, a pretty successful ministry up until this point. He, he has a growing crowd of people. Um, and he's about to do an entrance into Jerusalem. Palm branches are going to get waved. Hosanna is he who comes in the name of the Lord is going to happen. Lots of cool things going on. Jesus is just healing people left and right. Um, I mean, There's some hiccups along the way, no doubt. But for the most part, he has a very successful ministry. But the entire time, as Jesus is headed towards Jerusalem, he, he keeps coming back to this thought, uh, when we get to Jerusalem, I'm going to die. And that's uncomfortable, because they're headed into Jerusalem. And so Jesus, in, in the light of that, as they're afraid and astonished, says this. Again, he took the 12 aside, his closest uh, disciples, and told them what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him 
and spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Two things. One, if, if you're like new to church, these are the essential facts of the gospel that we believe. That Jesus Christ um, is the son of God, that he came and lived a life we could not live, died a death that we deserve on a cross, and then got out of the grave three days later to secure our eternal, our eternal hope. That he is the foundation, the anchor of our lives, the hope of God's promises, all of them are found in him. This is the gospel. But what's also being acknowledged by Jesus is that things are about to go really bad. That Jesus is about to walk into Jerusalem, not necessarily just in victory, but that he is going to be slaughtered. So I want you to feel the emotional weight of that. Like, Because some of you have heard those words from your, from your friends, from your neighbors, from your relatives, um, I have a limited timeline. You, you've heard that. You maybe, you maybe have heard that from doctors. There, there's some weight behind that. But the disciples are just like us. <laughs> and by that, I mean, they're not always the smartest. And so in, in verse 35, here's what happens. Then James and John the sons of Zebedee came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Just for the record, if anybody asks you a question like that, say no. Like this is the, okay, this is the way that children ask for things, right? Hey, uh, I, w- I want you to do me a favor. No, <laughs> like you tell, and so Jesus like asks what's going on, but, but here's the thing, in all of the other gospels, this is just interesting to me, um, it's presented as though the mom of James and John has actually come uh, to ask for them, which I just think is fun, like that's the way I would ask for things in middle school, right? Like so if I wanted um, to stay the night at a buddy's house, I would never ask because my mom's gonna shoot me down hard every time. Uh, but, but if I send my buddy Jeff over, I'm like, bro, you got to go ask mom, can Alex spend the night tonight? Then he's going to go and, and he'll, get, he'll get told yes. And so that's kind of what's going on here um, is they sent their mom, but Jesus doesn't respond to their mom. So he responds this way in verse 36. What do you want me to do for you? Smart question to ask at this point. He asked, verse 37, they replied, and I want you to just see the um, ridiculousness of this question in the light of what we just talked about. Let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. (laughs) So just for the record, Jesus has just announced, I'm going to die. And it's not going to be a good death. Like this is going to get really ugly. And, And their response is, okay, cool, but can you glorify me? Can, can you give me the best spot? Man, Jesus, man, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty torn up about your death and all. But when you're dead, can I have your radio? Because it's awesome, man. I love it. <laughs> you, you see the like just wild inappropriateness of this question? And, and so, so here's the problem. And, and I would say um, we have not left this problem behind. They were a people with very little empathy. 
that they were, they were spouting their opinions and their hopes and desires in the face of just incredible pain. And, and I, I would say we haven't left that behind because anytime a tragedy happens on the news, people have a lot of opinions. And so we've got to be, just for the record, people of empathy. Before we speak, man, we, we enter into their situation. We listen. We observe. And if it's a situation like this, we mourn before we open our mouths. And, and here's the thing. James and John, man, they had zero empathy. And so they walked into the situation where Jesus is going, look, I'm, I'm going to die. And they're essentially going, look, that's cool and all. Can I have the best seat at the table in your kingdom when you come back? And, and so here's, here's Jesus' answer. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. And I, I love this. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? What's he talking about there? The cross, right? So he's talking about the painful death that he's about to endure for the good of all. And so um, I love that they just answer. <laughs> There's 39, we can. <laughs> they answered. Jesus says to them, um, and this is where it kind of takes a shift in tone, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. But the sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. Those places belong to those for whom they've been prepared. Here's what Jesus is talking about. When he talks about the cup, he's talking about the death that he's about to endure. Um, and so um, James and John are, are asking for that same cup, essentially. And, and here's the interesting thing. Jesus, knowing the future, says, not only can you have that cup, you will drink that cup. And so here's, here's what he's referencing. To the man, uh, all of the disciples experienced horrendous persecution. And, and, and almost all of them, uh, just truthfully, died horrible deaths, like hanging upside down on crosses deaths, like not a good way to go. And, and, and so here's the reality is Jesus saying, listen, you're going to get what you're asking for, but it's going to cost you a lot more than you think. And, and so as, as he has this conversation, um, here's, here's what's interesting, is, is the other guys are listening in on this. And, and here's what happens, verse 41. When the 10, meaning the other disciples, heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. And I want to I clarify something real quick. This is not <laughs> like holy, righteous anger. This is not, oh, how dare they say that to Jesus of all people. This is, oh my gosh, James and John are going to get the best seats in the house. What are we doing? Why didn't we think to send our mom? And, and so at the end of the day, um, here, here's what happens is, is they're frustrated because they see James and John kind of clawing for position, clawing for the best status. And, and in verse 42, it says, Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Just to clarify, um, nothing wrong with having authority. Nothing wrong with being in power or government. Um, but in this day and age, 2,000 years ago, um, the Gentile rulers, primarily probably talking about the Pharaoh, uh, the Caesar, I mean, lo lots of guys, um, would have been people who were oppressive to people, who violated people's rights, and, and honestly, um, used their power and status to obtain things that were not rightfully theirs. 
Now, luckily, like 2,000 years later, we, we've left that problem behind. So uh, we don't you know, need to mention that. But um, it, here's, here's what Jesus is pointing out. It's a bad model of leadership. It just is. It's, it's not leadership at all. Um, and, and so Jesus gives us a different model to build our lives and leadership around. Here it is, verse 43. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you first must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man, meaning Jesus, did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Uh, just, just a helpful thing. When, when they use the word ransom, the idea behind that is, is the idea of um, buying back a prisoner of war. Now, there, there are a lot of other definitions we could use on that, but, but I think that's a beautiful picture that Jesus buys back prisoners of the spiritual war that we're all engaged in. I think that's, that's just a beautiful thing to hear. Um, it's good news. And, and so here's the thing. We believe that Jesus is king. What's his leadership strategy? What's he displaying here? He is displaying that to lead is to serve. And you can't get away from that in the rest of scripture. Like it's everywhere. In, in Isaiah um, 53, here, here's how um, Jesus is talked about. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely, this is, this is that servant leadership thing. He has borne our griefs. He has carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. That's a little bit different from whatever leadership strategy book you're reading, right? Like, like vastly different. So, not so with you. Whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. You must be slave of all. And we want to push back against that language even, right? And be like, oh, I don't know about that. That's uncomfortable. But, but literally the word there is doulos. It's a Greek word and it means um, slave. I mean, it means servant of all. It means someone who steps into the lower position. And so we are called to that position. And so what does it look like to lead in the world? What does it look like to lead? It looks like putting yourself intentionally below others. It, it means you sacrifice your comfort, your desires, your hopes, your dreams for the good of others. Because that's what Jesus did for us. So, so that's heady. Let's, let's take it down like, like just a, a notch to, to get on like where we're at. What does it look like to lead your family? We talk about that a lot, right? What does it look like to lead your family? It looks like you becoming a servant to your family. When it's difficult, when you get home from work and you're exhausted, when your kid has been screaming for like six hours and you're like, I'm done, because that's real. Um, you have got to put yourself below your family, in terms of your needs, your comforts, and your desires. You put them above yourself. You become the slave of everyone in your household. Now listen, doesn't mean you don't practice self-care. Doesn't mean you don't practice a Sabbath. Doesn't mean you don't rest. And, and man, like, 
heal because broken people can't heal people. <laughs> but, but it means that you value other people's needs above your own. You want to lead at your work? You want to become a leader? Because listen, there's a lot of books out there who are going to tell you, hey, run after it. Climb over other people to get there. Take care of you first. Wash your face. Like there's a lot of things that, that you could read that are all about you. And listen, the Bible's gonna go the exact opposite way and say, you wanna lead, serve people. You wanna lead, get, get out of yourself. And, and you can't get away from this in the Bible. You, like this language is everywhere. I mean, Jesus literally just a few chapters ago is going, listen, um, you wanna follow me? Take up your cross. You want a home? You want an awesome home? Man, well, uh, foxes have those and birds have those, but if you want to follow me, you might not. What a sales pitch, right? <laughs> Come follow Jesus. You might be homeless. It's going to be awesome, uh, right? And, and here's the thing is this language is all over the Bible. Read Isaiah 43 through 53. All of it's about the suffering servant. And so, man, we, we are called to lead like Jesus and the way that he steps into leadership is through service, through laying down his comforts and his desires and even his needs, even his life on a cross that other people might experience benefit, that they might experience gain. And so um, here's the thing that I want you to see in all of this. Um, as, as we kind of move in, into just talking about the passage, um, a culture of comparison will kill your community. A culture of comparison will kill your community. Um, and, and here's what I mean. Um, when you're comparing to other people, you're not acknowledging them as people. You're acknowledging them as someone who you need to be either be better than or less than. Um, and, and so um, when, when I um, look at this passage, what I see is a bunch of disciples who stopped being on mission together and started comparing themselves to one another. Um, verse 36 says, what do you want me to do for you? He asked, they replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in glory. And then what happens? When the 10 heard about it, they were indignant. <laughs> they were frustrated that they were gonna get the best position. And, and listen, we compare all the time. <laughs> like we can, we, we can just take parenting, okay? Um, I have a nine-month-old baby boy named Elliot. I think he's the coolest thing in the world. I, I really do. But, but just like gut level, um, Man, I, I see some of y'all read more books to your kids than I read to Elliot. And I'm immediately comparing myself, and I'm like, oh my gosh, he's not gonna learn to read till the 11th grade. Like, I'm just telling, I'm just being real. Like, this is, these are thoughts. I'm a new dad, okay? So give me time. But, um, but, but man, I'm, I'm constantly comparing myself. Um, we, can, we can flow into um, public school, private school, homeschool. What do you want to compare? Vaccines, not vaccines. Um, just, just pick a subject. I mean, people are organic carrots, whatever. If that's you, man, do it. But listen, I'm, I'm just not a good, a good parent like you. And, and we'll compare all the time. And, and here's, here's what I want you to see. If you think that you're better than somebody else, you're never going to engage them as a peer. If you think you're less than someone else, you will constantly be vying for their affection, attention, and a hope that they might value you. You will. And so if you're comparing in that way, man, you're gonna kill your community because you can't look at somebody who's better than you as your friend. You just can't. And listen, uh, you may not be better than me today, but you will be tomorrow. 
and, and then that'll flip-flop again like three days later. And so it's, it's, if we're just playing that game, man, that's going to kill us. We're going to be exhausted trying to keep up. But, but God actually calls us away from that. He calls us to serve. Man, and if you're going to serve, you know who you've got to get your eyes off of? You. Because when you're serving, man, you, you've got, you, you just got to abandon yourself and go and be for the other person. Not comparing the other person. Not placing yourself above or below somebody. But you're just after that person's heart, after their good. And so here's the thing. We do this in church too. We compare spiritual gifts. We compare the way people are wired. And I know that because I do this. And there, there is a guy who graduated DBU with me, um, went through the same Greek class. And man, he is, I'm, no joke, like internationally doing ministry. Like in a, in a way that's just unreasonable. Like the, the Lord's hand is just on him. It's, it's wild. And, and nine days out of 10, I wake up, I see an Instagram post. And I'm like, man, praise God. It's awesome. And then like one day in 10, I wake up and I'm like, dude, I know what that guy got on that Greek test. He doesn't deserve that. Like, man, I, maybe I deserved it, right? You know what I'm saying? And, and so here's the thing. When I do that, I'm distancing myself from that man and he doesn't even know it. How many times do you compare yourself to someone and without them even being aware of it, enter into some ridiculous competition? You know what I'm saying? And so we do that. Because it's, it's the flaw of our nature, man. But, but at the end of the day, um, God calls us out of that. Because the, the reality is when we compare, we're not even comparing our strengths against their strengths or our weakness against their weakness. We're comparing where we're at today against their highlight reel on Instagram. And when you do that, the problem is you're probably not on your highlight reel today. And so you're just going to be constantly after things that don't even really, like, aren't attainable. <laughs> Because when you snap a picture of something that looks awesome, the very next moment, it probably didn't look as awesome. Like you, you get that people on Instagram like fix the way that their desk looks before they take a picture, right? You get that? That's not real. That's not, and that's okay. I think there's a place for it. But, but don't try to compare your life to someone's altered reality because it's not real. And so we've got to get rid of the comparison. And we've also got to get rid of competition. Um, and and here's, here's what I mean. A culture of hyper-competition will drive out your compassion. It'll take it away. You'll be um, so dried up and focused on you that you stop caring about other people. And it'll actually take people who should be your friends and turn them into somebody that you're competing with. Nothing wrong with competition. Hear me out. Um, because that, I, I really do believe you should go to work and work hard. That you should, man, go for that promotion. Really believe you should go for it. But, but at the end of the day, when everything becomes politicized in a competition, we're gonna miss Jesus in it. And, and so like what, what I see happening in this passage is, is these guys um, who are on the same team. Like, if, like if, listen, if anyone should be on the same team, it's the 12 guys following Jesus, right? And and so what we see happening is they start to compete with one another for prime position. And in that, they start to see each other not as friends and as allies, co-laborers of the gospel would be the language that the Bible uses. And they see each other as enemies. They see each other as people to be trampled over. And, and listen, you see this today. And I don't even need to go into a specific incident. But anytime anything happens on the news, 
like it could be anything. Um, someone is finding someone to blame. Someone is um, competing for more spotlight. Someone, may we just see each other as enemies. And, and listen to me, regardless of where you stand on an issue, the people of God cannot see each other as enemies. We cannot, even in our competition to be right, in our competition for the next step in our job, we can't see each other as enemies. We've got to be people united under King Jesus, moving the same direction and mission. And that's tough because, man, we're going to have opportunities to vie for better positions. But at the end of the day, man, um, hyper-competition will turn us into enemies if we let it. So we've got to push against that and be under Jesus on the same mission. Because at at the end of the day, he says, not so with you. Get your eyes back on yourself. Because here's, here's the reality that we live in, and this is kind of the third point if you're following along. A culture without gratitude will miss the gospel. A culture without gratitude will miss the gospel. Um, and and here's, here's what I know. Um, this whole passage is, is just kind of an exercise in missing the point. Because, because the reality that these disciples experienced is like they were literally, not, not metaphorically, they were literally with Jesus, like they were with the Son of God, come down to rescue them. And, and so for them to be in this situation going, man, I, I want more, I, I want something different from what I currently have, is goofy. Like they're, they're with Jesus. Like all of us in this area, like if you're a believer, I, I hope you would trade whatever stuff you've got to be in the presence of Jesus. Like, but, but they missed it. Because they were so concerned with position and status and who they wanted to be that they missed the fact that they were traveling with the Son of God. And and so instead of being thankful, they were full of self, right? They were full of what they wanted and what they desired. And and so, um, man, this is just a lesson in the fact that you can serve God all day long, but if you don't know him, if you're not thankful for him, if you don't have love, then it doesn't really mean anything. That you can be with Jesus and your heart can be 100% in the wrong place. Because that's where these guys were. But, but, but here's the thing. We struggle with gratitude. And, and part of that is, is this comparison game. It's part of this competition game. Because if your eyes are on someone else's story all the time, I don't mean Instagram stories, okay? I mean real life. Like if, if all you're focused on is other people if all you're focused on is, man, I, I wish my life were like that. I wish I had that wife. I wish my wife were like that. I wish my job were like that. I wish I were paid that amount of money that that guy's making. I wish I had this comfortable experience. I wish I had those waffles. I don't know. <laughs> then, then listen to me. What you're missing is everything that God has done in your life. That, that you're missing in, in some false fictional narrative, whether that's somebody's front lawn that you drive by or, or somebody's Instagram account, listen, you're missing what God's doing in you. And, and what a terrible trade-off to be absolutely obsessed with someone else's life that you completely miss God's blessing in your own. Because, because the reality is this, as, as you do that and as you forget um, that God has put you in a place, which he has. That God has given you a group of people, which he has. 
Um, it could be this group of people. It could be your family, as, as wacky as they are. My family's pretty wacky. We got, man, just pray for me at Christmas time, okay? But, but as, as good as those things are, man, God has put you there for a purpose that you might be able to share the good news of Jesus Christ and be his salt and light in that place, wherever he's placed you, wherever he's placed you. And for us to look up and go, man, I wish I had that, is to go, God, I disagree with where you placed me. God, I disagree with how you wired me. I wish I had those gifts. God, I disagree with who you made me to be. And I don't want to be there. I, I want to be looking around with gratitude. Because listen to me, the, the thing that is robbing our world right now is cynicism. And if you let it, listen to me, cynicism, and I'm not talking, listen, the, the world's broken, I'm broken. Not going to disagree. Totally agree with you. God's with us. But with cynicism, if you let it, your worldview and perspective on what God is doing is going to get smaller and smaller and angrier. But gratitude is just going to lead to more gratitude. Because even if you start small, if you start with this breath, it's always going to lead you to another breath. If you say, thank you, God, for who you are, it's going to always lead you to thank you, God, for what you've done. And so, man, gratitude expands your worldview. Cynicism will crush it. And you'll just end up with a tiny, angry worldview. But if you're grateful, and, and listen, this has got to be an ongoing practice in our culture. Because if, man, I'm, we don't have time, but if we were to be grateful people, can you even imagine how that would change the culture, the city, the town in which we live? It'd be crazy. And so we, we've got to aim for, be intentional about, display, project gratitude because of who God is, because of what he's done, and because of what he's done for you. Because God has done so much for you. He's done so much for me. And so, man, we, we've got to step away. If we don't hit gratitude, we'll miss the gospel. We'll miss what God's done. And so here, here's the thing. He says, not so with you. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The goal is to replace self-glory with gratitude and grace. And the answer is to believe that Jesus has already, in Jesus, you, you have everything you need. Like you have everything you could ever want in Christ. Listen to me, like do, do you want to, like is your deepest desire right now to be famous? Because if so, the Bible says that the God of the universe knows you, knows the number of hairs on your head. You can't get more famous than that. Like, period. Like, there's not another dude that you're like, I don't know, uh, Tom Hanks is pretty cool. I, I mean, he, like, nobody goes beyond that level of fame. You want the Lord to know you. He does. Do you want security? The Bible says that, that in him, not only is today secure, but tomorrow secure and eternity is secure. It doesn't look the way we want it to every day, but we have a hope that rests beyond our present reality. And we're seeing shadows of it today. How beautiful is that? Everything you could, you could want and long for is in Christ. And so the challenge for us today is to believe that what we have in Christ is better than any silly fiction we could make up online. Any of it. 
it pales in comparison. And so today, uh, man, I, I just want to challenge you guys. Um, what would it look like for you as, because listen, family's coming. <laughs> Whether you want them there or not, they're, they're <laughs> steady on the way. It's on their calendars. It's on yours. What would it look like for as you enter into this season of the holidays, for, for you to just recklessly decide I am going to be the slave and servant of everyone that I encounter. For you to just say, my comforts, my needs, my desires don't matter in comparison to the needs of everyone around me. Because here's the thing. I, I really believe that, that most of our families would just flip out. Like, what has happened here? Why are, why are you so happy? I'm like, what's going on? Why are you doing dishes? I don't, I don't know. You've never done dishes before. And, and, and listen, like if you choose to be the most gratitude-filled person at your holiday meal this year, can you imagine what would happen? Like, okay, might even cool gospel conversations be started that you would in the place that God has placed you, in the, in, the, in the family that God has placed you, in the workplace that God has placed you, might you even be able to go, and let me, let me tell you why I'm doing this. Let me tell you the, the biggest reason I'm so filled with gratitude this year. Because that would be incredible. And so, guys, this year, um, let's be that sort of people and ask God for help in that. Let's pray. God, we're so thankful that, that in an inward-focused, um, ladder-climbing, um, gosh, just perception-obsessed generation. God, you have given us a different way and that you have called us right now um, to throw aside our desires and our comforts as you did, to serve all, to love all, and God, to be placed into a place that we might be your salt, your light, your grace to people. And God, we just ask for your help in that. God, fill us with gratitude. Break our hearts, God, and help us to see how good you are. We need you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the Creek Church. We invite you to listen to other messages on this podcast, or if you have any questions, you can email us at infothecreekfw.com. At